Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm excited, as always, to have amazing guests on the show. I'm always thrilled when uh, people are on here and they're here to discuss things that I think most people haven't you know, really thought of or heard of. Um, we have some guests here today who's going to talk about body grief. And I know a lot of people have heard about body positivity, body neutrality, body image, body embodiment. Um, these are all things we've talked about on the podcast before. And so I'm really excited just to jump on in and talk about what is body grief. Um, Brianna or Brie Campos, as she goes by, uh, she's a licensed mental health counselor based in New Jersey and is a body image educator and the founder of Body Image with Brie. She's passionate about all things body image and practices through the lenses of health at every size and intuitive eating. Utilizing a weight inclusive approach, she combines her clinical skills and lived experience to teach others how to maneuver through their own individual body image exploration. She specializes in body image education, including her unique framework on body grief. All right. Well, Brianna, I'm excited to have you here. Um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know you, um, I'm just wondering, could you just tell us a little bit, you know, other than what I said in the intro, just about like how you got to this place in your career and your life, like how you got here? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, um, you know, so it's so funny. So my name is, is Brianna, but nobody calls me that. Everybody calls me Brie. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I got here just the same as everybody else through my own relationship, uh, with food and body. And, uh, you know, I, I was recalling, uh, my, my clinical experience, my background was working in eating disorder recovery. And I would be working with folks who, were struggling to eat lunch because they were like, I just, I hate my body so much. We, we have to work on body image if you want me to go to this meal. And the resources that were provided to me as the provider sucked. It would be like, you hate your body? Say you love your body. And I'm like, I wouldn't even do that. And so it really just, it forced me one, to recognize my own limitations with my own relationship with food and body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but then two, even more so how there was just a lack of resources that really could help people um, in a true and um, tangible way to just sort of sift and move through that body hatred. And so um, through my own lived experience and then through working with clients, I have really fallen upon this concept of body grief. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I find personally that grief allows me to sit in the suck of the parts of my body image that, you know, maybe I will never get to a destination of love, um, but that it doesn't mean I, I have to hate myself uh, through the process. So that's, that's a little bit of my story. 
Okay. And I think that's something most people haven't heard is like body, you know, the, the grief about it. And, um, you know, people might have ideas about that. Like, what does that mean? Do I have to grieve? Like, you know, not loving my body? Does it like, what does that mean? And so like, if someone were to ask you that, like, like how, what does that actually mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at the definition of grief, it's defined as uh, loss or deep sorrow. And when you look at the definition of sorrow, sorrow is defined as loss that causes distress. And so for me, the working definition that I will refer to for body grief is the perceived loss that causes distress, usually accompanied with body change. So I'll I'll repeat that one more time. Body grief is the perceived loss that causes distress usually accompanied with body change. What's great about this definition is I think it's expansive. So it's not just I'm gaining weight and I'm grieving my body. But when you go through puberty or menopause or you have a baby or you experience illness, when your body is changing, there is a level of change that brings about or brings awareness to loss And it's that distress around the loss that I really want to focus on with people because in some of those circumstances, you know, like let's say having a baby, your body is going to change uh, and it's going to change significantly. And for many people, your body might go back to the way that it was before you had the baby. For a lot of my clients, it it doesn't, their body doesn't change. And so now you have lost that uh, prior body and there's not really anything we can do about that except grief. Um, I have clients who have uh, chronic illness and there is a grief of not being able to trust their body. They're supposed to try to figure out how to trust their their intuition and make peace with food, yet Um, their body is giving them mixed signals or they're in and out of the hospital. It creates a distrust within their body. I would say the most popular example that I work with is for folks who are in recovery from an eating disorder, disordered eating, and they're gaining weight. And they say, okay, like, I know my body's going to change a little bit, but this is as much as I'm allowing it to change. And if it's any more than that, I can't do that. That's not safe. This doesn't feel good this, I can't, I don't know how to maneuver through that. And uh, I think that even just trying to quantify how much your body is allowed to change, um, there's, there's loss. There's a loss of perceived control around being able to change and manipulate your body. Um, There's loss around the ideal body size. I know for me, I had to acknowledge that by no longer pursuing intentional weight loss, that it meant I wasn't going to live in a socially acceptable body. There was grief there. There was loss there. But it wasn't just not being able to be in that body. It was all of the things accompanied with it. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I so often hear um, my own patients saying like, yeah, I would go really into treatment, like, but that's my fear. I don't want my yeah. body to change, right? I don't want to let go of that control or I'm afraid of how my body's going to change. Um, and I think that's a big thing that 
you know, people really don't often talk about is mm. that fear or that that's the, that's the hurdle that keeps people from really going into treatment. It's like, yeah, they want to get better, but they don't want that change. They don't want that shift. Right. Right. And what I usually will say to people is you have body autonomy. You have the right to say, I don't want my body to change, but you can't also then want healing. Like you, you have to pick either I'm going to open my palm and let my body change and heal, or I'm going to keep a closed fist and I'm going to control my body and I'm not going to heal. At the end of the day, it's your, it's your autonomy. It's your choice, but we can't, we can't have both healing and control over our body. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So I'm just curious if someone's listening and going like, well, I kind of have both. <laughs> like, why can't I look the way I want and heal and not have my eating disorder or still like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, it's not like, I'm not telling you like, oh, you're not allowed to. It's just, it's, I think part of the reason that when you are stuck in your eating disorder or in your disordered eating, um, your brain, I, I like to think of it as like a cup. It's like 90% full of thinking about your body, thinking about your food, thinking about how the world is interpreting you and the world is seeing you. When you heal, it's not that the cup is then empty and it's like, oh, I never think about these things. It's just less, right? It's, you know, maybe like 30% of I'm thinking about my body, I'm thinking about food. Um, but in order to get the cup to lessen, we have to be willing to, it, it comes at a cost, right? We have to be willing to say, okay, I, I want to not think about my body 24 seven. I want to think, not think about food 24 seven. Okay. I want to make peace with food. Then you have to eat foods. You have to be, you have to give yourself permission to eat food. And when you give yourself permission to eat food, we are then taking away the eating disorder behavior that was keeping you small. Um, we are then we're no longer doing the thing that can help you manipulate your body. And I think what's so hard is that we live in a world that celebrates thinness. Mm -hmm. And, and that was something for me as somebody who exists in a large body, I identify with the word fat. And I say fat in a reclaimed way. I used to not be that person. I'm like, I'm never going to refer to myself as fat. Um, but I, I, one of the things that really brought attention to my own struggle was working in eating disorder recovery. This is a quote by Deborah Gard, who uh, is like a pioneer in the health at every size space, that what it was being prescribed to me as a person in a fat body was being diagnosed in someone else's body. Uh, so what was being prescribed to me of like, these are the things you should do, the behaviors you should do for quote unquote health was being diagnosed as an eating disorder in someone in a small body. And so there has to be this awareness and willingness to recognize that, yeah, it is harder to live in the world in a larger body. You are treated differently when you exist in a larger body. As somebody who's never existed in a smaller body, I never had the privilege that a lot of my clients in smaller bodies had. So it wasn't like I had something to miss. I, like I never had that. So for folks who have had that privilege, who have had that experience of existing in a world where their body is praised and celebrated and is the pinnacle, it's a lot harder to say goodbye to. It's a lot harder to say, I'm intentionally not going to have this anymore. 
I'm wondering too. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true because it's, then it can be confusing. Like is which body is mine? Which body is actually the body that's yeah. I'm supposed to be in? Because I know there's some confusion, you know, and I get questions that a lot is, is this the body that I'm, is going to be my, like, you know, the set point theory, right? Is this yeah. the body that's, that's the stable body or is this the body that's just after treatment? And then, yeah, I'm, you know, which one is it? And um, I don't know if you have people that ask you that question too. Like it's confusing yeah. because it's like your body's constantly shifting and changing and it's, yeah, it can be confusing. Well, and I think too, um, you know, when you're early on in recovery, yeah, your body is going to change and adjust as somebody who's, who's uh, I've recovered into this larger body, I would say in the last five years, my body doesn't, my body hasn't really changed. Um, but when I first learned about set waypoint theory, I was convinced I was like, oh, this is going to be the thing that makes my body smaller because once I stop dieting, I'm just going to, I'm going to end up in that smaller body. And so I think when we put set weight point theory in like a pragmatic solution, sure. But the reality is, you know, there are a lot of things that can contribute to you being in a larger body. One of them being genetics, which nobody likes to talk about, but that, yeah, you, your family genetics could play a part in this. The other part of this as well uh, is weight cycling. That if you are somebody who has been a chronic weight loser and regainer, that the probability that your set weight is higher and is going to stay there is actually your body trying to protect you. It's trying, it's trying its best to save your life. And the more that you diet, the more that you intentionally try to lose weight, the more weight it's going to continue to hold onto when you regain. So, you know, when I think of grief, um, you know, I obviously think of like the stages of grief, right? And I'm wondering, is that what you see as like people going through kind of like the stages of grief, just like loss of any other kind? Yeah. So, so when you, you know, uh, when we look at grief versus bereavement, mm -hmm. bereavement is, is death. And so I think this myth that grief is just about death is not correct, mm -hmm. that we experience loss on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we are, as a people, are taught how to grieve and how to grieve well. And I utilize Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, The Stages of Grief, as a way to help give language to my clients who are struggling with the acceptance of their body. Because... I think a lot of people think acceptance is like, woohoo, I'm here. I did it. I love this. That's not acceptance, right? Acceptance is the surrender of I, I'm, I'm allowing myself to be where I am and I am holding space when it's uncomfortable and I also know that I can't change it. And so when you look at the stages of grief, it, it's, you know, for those who aren't familiar, it's denial, anger bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. What I find is that most people get stuck in the bargaining phase. And that bargaining phase is maybe I can still fix this. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe I didn't find the right diet yet. Maybe I didn't find the right weight loss plan yet. Maybe if I do lose weight or I do get to exist in this smaller body, that all of these things that I have experiencing um, are going to go away. And what happens, especially with 
you know, uh, I mean, and it's probably a whole other podcast episode, and, you know, conversation um, with the rise of uh, weight loss drugs, with the rise of um, quote unquote improved weight loss surgery, um, you know, statistics, people are experiencing temporary relief. They're experiencing quote unquote better health. They're like, I, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody the other day who was like, my health has increased significantly. They've had weight loss surgery a year ago. How is this going to be in five years? How are you going to be in 10 years? Do we have the research to support the longstanding um, impacts on your health? And the answer is no. I, I had, I am somebody who's had weight loss surgery and nobody followed up with me after the initial, like, so I'm part of the statistic of like, yeah, it, it quote unquote worked, but nobody did any other follow-up. Nobody else has followed up with, you know, what harms could befall you. And so when I realized in my own story that, okay, I did the thing, I did the thing to try to make my body smaller. I had weight loss surgery. It worked as much as it was going to. And then I regained weight. The next thing that they wanted to do was a different surgery. And so I was like, this is going to be my life. I'm going to keep doing this thing hmm. to achieve temporary success only to then what, wait for the next surgery and do that one. Um, and so that was when I had this realization of if I get to this point of I cannot control my body size, that no matter what I do, I am not going to successfully control my body size. I have two choices. I can either continue to just try to manipulate my body for the temporary mm -hmm. or I can accept it. And acceptance does not mean that I have to like or love my body. I'm not a body positive person who's like, I love all of my curves and I love my cellulite. If that's your journey, more power to you. What I found was that if I could love myself, that no matter what the exterior looked like, that if I have a cup and the contents of the cup remain the same, no matter what cup it's in, that I could reach acceptance in a way that feels true and aligned to myself. I love that. I love so many things that you said. It was just the going, yeah, it's like, yes, that quote unquote worked. It works. Whatever yeah. that, we don't talk about that. What does that even mean? It worked, <laughs> right? I think it, it means for people that like they, the thing they set out to do, like it, they lost weight or, you know, I think for a lot of people in larger bodies, their mobility increases, right. Um, or their blood work changes. And so they're, uh, and, and this is what I talk about with clients is the difference between correlation and causation. Mm -hmm. So correlation is, is this idea that, you know, okay, there, there's like a study that says, um, men who have, um, you know, male pattern balding have a higher likelihood of getting cancer. Those are, there's a correlation, but the balding doesn't cause the cancer. Yet when, when it comes to body size, it's like, oh, well, it must be just because you're fat. It must just be because you exist in a larger body size. When you can strip away that, that blame, right? When you can strip away um, trying to find the scapegoat of like, where, whose fault is this? We can actually look at your experience and say, okay, you want to experience more mobility. How do we do that? How do we do that in the body that you have right now? Mm -hmm. How do we do that in a way that doesn't 
mean you're a bad person if you're not capable of doing it. That's, to me, that's, that's, I think, much more sustainable. Um, and it just, it's just kinder and more compassionate. And I think it's a lot easier to do long-term than just losing weight to quote unquote experience success in the short term. Mm -hmm. No. And, you know, for anyone listening, I'm wondering, you know, I often hear people say like, oh, you know, I have knee pain because of my, my size or my weight. And I'm going, people of all sizes and shapes have knee pain, right? We forget this sometimes. Yeah. Right. That's the, to your point, correlation and causation. It's like knee pain is not caused by weight. Correct. Right. Correct. But oftentimes that seems like it, like doctors go like, oh, but you know, if you just lost weight, it would get better. It's like, who says? (laughs) (laughs) My, my PT, he, he was like one of the first people who was like, your weight has very little or nothing to do with body pain. And, and what if body pain is your body communicating to you in the only way it knows how? Mic drop. (laughs) Love your, love your doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not the advice that people get. Um, usually it's, oh, you have pain, you have an ailment, you should lose weight. That's mm-hmm. the solution. Uh, and, and I will say as somebody who exists in a larger body, who from a trauma perspective, going to the doctor was a traumatic experience and not like a long time ago. Like even now I hate going to the doctors. I'm thankful that I have a team of doctors who've I've been able to advocate to, and they listen to me. Um, but that I I had to say like, okay, because of my history with eating disorder and disordered eating, I need us to, if you want to work on my health, we cannot center the conversation on my weight. Mm-hmm. You have to find a different angle. And, and I, I swear, I, I like, I think she, my doctor must get supervision because <laughs> she'll sometimes she'll go towards the way and I'll be like, no, 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 we need to come back this way. Mm-hmm. And then she'll come back the next time. And I'll be like, oh my God, she must, she definitely got supervision because <laughs> this is much better, but that's, that's how, that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that not for nothing, but I mean, that's a privilege to be able to say, I'm going to choose my doctor and I'm going to find a doctor who's going to advocate and listen to me. I have clients that, that that's not their experience that they've, and they've tried multiple doctors and can't get a doctor to listen to them. So this is another place where that grief comes in is yeah, it sucks. It absolutely sucks. And so what I don't want people to do is try to rush into that acceptance, right? I don't want you to be like, okay, I accept it. If you don't, that's fine. If it feels frustrating or angering or sadness like if or, or saddening that's part of the grief process if that's where we get to make space mm-hmm. i'm wondering your take on it like why do you think we don't i mean i guess talk more about like the fact that our bodies are going to change over time that there are natural times when our body shifts and changes and embrace it rather than like I guess, demonize it or like fear it, you know, like you said, puberty, pregnancy, menopause. I mean, I don't know what you think now, but I, it seems like there's just this big thing now about menopause, like, like, gosh, you know, like that's a bad thing. If your body changes naturally the way it's supposed to, like you're doing something wrong. If you know, your body actually looks the way it's supposed to during and after menopause, like, 
combat it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that part of the reason that we as a society focus on body change, um, you know, I, I think it's it's rooted in, uh, you know, the patriarchy and it's rooted in, uh, you know, racism. It's rooted not just in, uh, you know, external beauty, but uh, really in just the position of power and privilege. And that it's, a, you know, the dieting industry is a $72 billion industry. I, I use this example with people all the time. I'm like, okay, so our, our iPhones that most people have, the battery life sucks on them. And it would be like, oh, what am I doing wrong that the battery life, like, what, what is it that I'm doing as opposed to why don't they make better batteries? Like, why don't they, why don't, why, what, what's, what's, why doesn't Apple make a better lasting battery? And the reason is because then we come back and we get a new one and we get a new, and we get a new phone. Diet culture doesn't need to change because it's profiting. Mm-hmm. When we look at diets that have been going on, Weight Watchers, right? It's just rebranding. And th- the crux of their money is based on lifetime membership. Like somebody is profiting. Somebody profits from our discomfort, from our hatred. And nobody profits from you saying, I'm actually good with who I am and what I look like. and and comfortable in my own skin. The only person who stands to benefit is you. But it's not as lucrative of a business as preying on people's pain points and weaknesses. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, I've said that so many times on here, right? It's like, yeah. I mean, how do we get the awareness out there more? Because I know they're loud. I know they've got, like you said, $72 billion pumped into our society and they're super loud, right? but like, I don't know. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think for myself is I can't change the world. I, I would love to. And I think um, I would love to change every person's mind. Um, but if I can change just one person's opinion or one person's mind, mm-hmm. um, then I, I'll have done my job. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts with yourself. I think it starts with you of do the thoughts and beliefs that I have around bodies align with the values that I want to live by? Mm -hmm. Does, do my beliefs bring me closer to my values or do they bring me further away? Most of the people I interact with are like, I would never ever say the things out loud to anyone else that I say to myself. Mm -hmm. That's a clear sign that you're not speaking in alignment with your values, that you are not treating yourself with the human decency and respect that the world should treat you in the same way. And and so I think when you are used to speaking down to yourself, when you are used to um, placing yourself at a lesser value, it's easier to let the world treat you that way as well. And, And I'll say that by starting to advocate for myself with my body, I started to advocate for myself in other ways. It was not, this is the surface, right? Down at the root, it came down to, you know, a fear of being unlovable, uh, a, a fear that 
you know, but if I, if I don't do everything that I can do to people, please to make people happy, that somehow I'm going to be alone. And one of the things I'll tell people is when we start on this, you know, body positive journey, and I don't call it a journey, I call it an archaeological dig, because I say that there's always more you can be digging and and learning. Um, But it's almost like you're walking in a tunnel. And you used to have a light at the end of the tunnel. And that used to be a smaller body, right? That was the light at the end of the tunnel. And now we're just telling you to walk in this tunnel and it's dark and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I will tell people that instead of looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, look around you for other people in the tunnel with you. It doesn't make it less hard. It just makes the journey more bearable and it it makes it worth it. And I think finding community of people who are not dieting, who are not trying to change their body size is probably the most transformative thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, it's interesting too. I don't know your experience, but I know for me, like it seemed like when I was in the throes of my eating disorder, it seemed like my my ears just heard everybody talking about diets and it seemed like everybody was dieting and everyone was doing this. And I think that's part of it is just your you just hear what you want to hear. And it was like that tunnel vision. Um, So it's really hard to hear and see and find people that aren't doing that. Yeah. Finding community, I think is the hardest, is the hardest thing. But I, I know that, so, you know, Brene Brown uh, talks about um, putting Shane in a Petri dish and what it needs to grow is silence, secrecy, and judgment. But if you douse it with empathy, then the shame can't survive. It's kind of like the she, she uses the the analogy of uh, Gremlins. Do you remember the movie? Um, it's like the, the or like late nineteen eighties. Uh, those Gremlins, and there were certain rules around the Gremlins. Like you couldn't get them wet; they had to be fed at a certain time, and they couldn't be exposed to light. It's the same idea, right? That when our critical thoughts are kept in the dark. They have the ability to grow and to manifest and to become bigger than they actually are. But when we douse them with empathy, when we are in community with other people who can look at you and be like, I would never think that about you. I would never mm-hmm. think that for you. It changes something, right? That 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 gremlin can no longer grow and manifest and survive. Yeah, I think that's absolutely my a wonderful thing to hear. And that's part of the reason why I do the podcast too, is like to have people hear these things and yeah. maybe it will spark something. Maybe a seed will get planted in their head. Maybe they'll remember this. Maybe something will grow. Um, because I don't think a lot of this is talked about or heard. I think that, For like sure. I said, the, the other voices, the other messages are so much louder. Um, and the more people talk about things like you are, the more vocal other people are. I think hopefully there'll be some shifts and change. People will, you know, shift and change in themselves, like start to think, think differently, do things differently. Absolutely. I, I'll use this analogy with folks too. So I like, I like the analogy of the voices are loud. Um, so let's, let's turn down the stereo, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to, we don't have to turn on the stereo of self-love and body positive. Like, let's just, as those thoughts come in, it's like, nope, I'm not, I'm not taking that thought anymore. I'm going to keep turning this off. Every time I am accosted or affronted with negative body talk, nope, I'm exiting this because 
that will pave the way for us to say, well, now what do I want to believe? What do I want to say? What feels right for me? And I think also coming back to your why, uh, I know for me, the birth of my niece uh, was the catalyst for me of, I never want her to feel an ounce of hatred about her body that I have felt. And so if you had asked me, do you have any people in your life who are body positive, who have a good relationship with their body? I couldn't give you one. And so I was like, I want to be that for her. I want her to be like, yeah, my aunt it has a really good relationship with her body. And that's the kind of relationship that I want to model for her. So I think figuring out your why is a really good starting place. Why do you want to heal? Why do you want a different relationship? What is the hope that you are working towards? And then just remembering it's not as easy as flipping a light switch. This is not going to be just, oh, okay, great. I feel differently about it. It's a lot of work. And it, this is why it's a dig is we don't have to shift overnight. And, and I'll say this too. The other thing that I think makes this so hard is when we were in diet culture, we had so many points of reference for measurement. You had the scale, you had compliments from other people, you had non quote unquote, non-scale victories. When you're changing your beliefs, you don't have any of that anymore. So the only thing that you have to go on is time and lived experience. And that's hard to measure. So what I will tell clients to do is I will encourage you to track your thoughts in in writing, right? Write it down. Let's measure, okay, uh, on this date today, this is how I felt about my body. Let's measure it again in three months. How do we feel now? Six months, how do we feel now? That when we have something concrete we can go back to and say, oh, wow, I, I don't feel that I like I once did. That That's a great way we can assess and measure our quote unquote progress. No, I, you know what? I love that too, because it's so true. And there is such a freedom to not have all those external things like, like kind of man, I call it like managing or controlling your emotional state or the, how yeah. you feel like for the day, just like, Oh, if yeah. that number goes up or down, like, you know, I feel a certain way or, you know, my mood's yeah. up or down based on that number. It's like, it's, you're not in control of anything. It's like, you're putting so much value on these external things. And when that's gone, it's so much more free. Yeah. I, I, I'll i do this like exercise with, with clients of like, okay, so if getting on the scale and like knowing your weight could bri- make or break your day. Mm-hmm. I want you to realistically think, okay, if I were to get on the scale today, what is the number that I would see realistically that I would be okay? What's, what's the highest point that I would be okay with? And then what's the number that would distress you. Mm. For a lot of people, it's like four or five pounds. The difference between being, okay, this is good enough. I can do this, but I can't do this. We're giving so much power to just a few pounds. Do those do those few pounds. If you didn't get on the scale, you wouldn't even know. Right. You wouldn't even know that, <laughs> that those pounds are there. <laughs> and so I think one of the ways that we can begin to detach from the number um, is just allowing ourselves one, the time to heal. Um, but two is really exploring the narratives that we have around the number. Why does that higher number, why does, what does it mean? If I'm that weight, why is that so bad? 
What does it say about me? Is that true? Would I say it to my niece? Would I say it to anyone I love? Would I say this to a friend? And a lot of times, I don't know if you experience this too. A lot of my clients are like, no, no, this is, this is separate. Like, that's fine for you. It's different for me. I'm like, that's not how life works. <laughs> we don't get to have separate rules for ourselves. And that if we want to have and to hold the same compassion that we do for other people, we have to put that on ourselves as well. Right. Oh, to your point, right? You're so much harder to yourself than other people. Like you would not say to someone else the things you say to yourself. Like, yeah, there's no way. There's no right. way. Right. <laughs> and if you did, they might like punch you. <laughs> and they should. That's awful. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. It's mean. <laughs> not that we condone violence, but <laughs> no, we don't. But I'm just saying it's not nice. I mean, if you really think yeah. about what you do say to yourself, it's 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 cruel. It's really cruel. Yeah. And I and I I hate the saying like hurt people, hurt people, because I know a lot of hurt people who don't hurt people. Mm-hmm. But I think that hurt people who express that onto other people that's so much more about themselves than it is about you. Mm -hmm. So even if somebody does have the gall to say the quiet part out loud, like that's, that is a hundred percent about them. And like, you should, you should feel bad for them. (laughs) The other way around. Right. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I ever hear somebody shame somebody else for their body or their, I just, yes, to your point, that is not about you. Yeah. 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 And it can still hurt and it still sucks. Like we can hold that, that it's really uncomfortable. Um, but it's also, it, that's, that's so about that other person. And, and the way that we can measure that is even if you were hurting, would you do that to someone else? And if you're listening to this podcast, no, you wouldn't because you're not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I should have asked if I can... You're fine. <laughs> <I'm dropped off. laughs> True, like really confident, happy people do not go around hurting other people with their words or saying nasty things to other people. So you really think about that too. And one of the things that I'll hear like people say is that it's usually under the guise of concern, right? Like I'm concerned for you. One of the things that I will remind people is that concern is kind, right? Mm If if somebody is if somebody is really concerned it's going to be said with, with kindness. And if it's not, it's being said out of manipulation and malice. And especially if somebody is projecting their own stuff about my body, I'm like, but you know, I just don't understand. Like, yeah, I'm all for body positivity, but you, there's no way you can be healthy. Like you have to know that what I hear you saying, reading between the lines is I am in a smaller body than you and I still hate my body. So you don't get to love yours. It's not about me. It's about you. And it's really, I mean, God, it's condescending. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and I think we do need to do some work too on like just the health at every size movement to just educating people that you really can have health or not health at any size. Like, you know, this, just people saying like, I'm so concerned for you. Like, how do you even know what's going on with someone else's body? Like someone in a really small body can really be quite physically unhealthy. Um, certainly, you know, I mean, you and I both work with people who have eating disorders and certainly people who are in small bodies are doing very 
damaging things to their bodies to be in that smaller body. Um, and you don't know anyone's state of physical health or well-being right. by looking at them. And so I think it's very presumptuous to say, oh, I'm concerned when you have no idea. Mm. I, I think that it's not really about health for a lot of people. Um, I, I think that for a lot of people, it's about control. There's there's this quote um, that I really like, and it says, um, kindness without on- honesty is self-abandonment or codependency. Honesty without kindness is brutality. Mm. Honesty without kindness is brutality. And so uh, I, I think that if somebody is genuinely concerned for health, one, what is your definition of health? Mm-hmm. If your definition of health is the BMI, well, first of all, it's <laughs> a bad definition of health. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, then no, then I'm not healthy. I I know for me, my I probably would have answered like, oh, my definition of health is like, you know, uh, do I eat vegetables? Do I exercise? Do I drink enough water? And now my definition of health is like, how do I feel about myself? How do I talk to myself? How is my self-care? How is my work-life balance? How are my relationships? How am I existing in the world? In many senses, health is a privilege, right? When we look at the socioeconomic factors of health, our ability to control our health is 30%. Again, we'll take that cup. If you were betting, (laughs) I thought I was a betting gal. I wouldn't put money on a horse that's like, it's going to maybe 30%. It's going to win. We have 30% control, which means there are so many other factors impacting our health, including genetics, including uh, your socioeconomic status. You know, there's, there's so many different things that impact health outside of how much you exercise and how, and how quote unquote good you eat. And, And I also think too, you know, another thought on this too is like, health at every size is not every person is healthy. It is that every person, no matter what size, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, ability level, has the right to pursue health with dignity, Mm -hmm. without shame and judgment. That is health at every size. Right. And I'm glad you clarified that too, because there, there is confusion there what that actually means. And I think people um, do question that. They do wonder. So I'm glad you actually clarified that too. Yeah. yeah. And that health isn't a size, that there isn't one size that's healthy, one that's not. It's, you know, I, and you and I, right, we know that there are people who exist in larger bodies who are healthy. Mm-hmm. And there are folks that live in smaller bodies that are super unhealthy and 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 dangerously unhealthy um and yet society will celebrate that disorderedness and that goes back to the you know to diet culture is somebody's profiting from that right there's one definition of what constitutes healthy right and it's dictated by toxic diet culture right so correct people buy into that all the time they believe that actually i don't think anyone challenges it to a degree. Um, and that's sad. Like we've normalized eating disorders in our culture. Like it's a normalized, like that's, that's the, that's the goal is you should 
be able to, you know, control your, your food intake and over-exercise. And again, goes back to that as a person in a larger body, that's the prescription I'm given. That's, that's mm-hmm. the solution. Yet when you are working with people, and I, and this is my, I say this all the time, my standard has become, if it is not okay for my most sick eating disorder client, that's my baseline. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not okay for them, then it can't be okay for me. Right. I mean, I could say so many things. We could have a whole nother <laughs> podcast on this just right there. <laughs> my mind just spun off somewhere, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, you and I can talk for hours about this right there. (laughs) So many things to say. Um, You brought so many things up and I have a feeling people listening are kind of their mind is doing just what mine is, is kind of going all over the place. Um, You know, I have a feeling people are going to want to find you, know more about you, the work you do. Um, How can they find you? Yeah, well, first of all, this has been such a lovely conversation. And and yeah, I'm so grateful to have been here. Uh, if you are looking for more, you know, podcast things, um, I actually have my own podcast and I host the Body Groovers Club podcast. And the reason it's called the Body Groovers Club is because uh, a lot of times when you enter into grief, it's like you're entered into a club that you didn't ask to be a part of, but like, you know, the membership is a high price. And so if you are somebody who grieves your body, then you're a member of the Body Grievers Club. And we welcome you to come and listen to us. We have lots of episodes. Um, we are gearing up for another season. We just started uh, this this week. I think an episode um, just came out. Uh, you can also check me out on Instagram and TikTok at Body Image with Free. That's awesome. And I'll, I'll be in the show notes. So don't worry if you didn't get that down. Um any last final words before we end? I know you've given us so much information, but I just didn't know if there was one last final thing you want to say before we end. Yeah. If you are somebody who's listening to this and you are feeling overwhelmed with all of the the thoughts kind of dropped here today and, you know, feeling like, oh my God, I have so much to do. Um, I just want to, I just want to give you a permission slip that you are exactly where you need to be in this work and that listening to this episode today was exactly what you needed. And this is an opportunity for information gathering, not a a prescription of, okay, now you have to go out and do. Um, This is just an opportunity to build awareness into your thoughts, into your beliefs, and that know in time they can change um, as long as we continue to uh, explore those thoughts. So you're not alone. And uh, I'm just, keep looking for the people in the tunnel with you. We're, we're here. We promise. Awesome. Well, Bree, thank you so very much. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we could talk for hours, but <laughs> not going to keep you forever. Um, anyway, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.